Conapsis is the leading provider of solutions to protect ERP systems from cyber attacks. Customers can secure their SAP and Oracle business critical platforms from espionage, sabotage, and financial fraud risks. Visit them on the web at Onapsis.com. The SANS Institute, the most trusted source for computer security certification training and research. Visit SANS.org to explore their full curriculum and latest training offerings. NetSparker, the developers of desktop and cloud-based web application security scanners that enable you to automatically identify vulnerabilities in your web applications and web services. NetSparker scanners employ a unique and dead-accurate vulnerability scanning engine that automatically verifies vulnerabilities with their proof of concept. For more information, visit them on the web at netsparker.com or email at contact at netsparker.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. I want to encourage everyone to go to itpro.tv forward slash security weekly. Enter the discount code SW30. You can save 30% off. You can do a seven-day trial, and that 30% off is good for the lifetime of your monthly subscription. So as long as you're maintaining your monthly subscription, you get that 30% off, which is awesome. They've got a supervisor portal uh, the way I've described it is that in you know security especially, you want people in your organization to be trained on various topics. Sending them to training could be expensive. While I do agree that sending people to training and immersing them in training is important, you can't have your people at training all the time. You should go to SANS, but you can't have your entire your security team at SANS the entire year, as fun as that would be. You just can't. you got to work. Right. And so how do you supplement your training in between uh, going to SANS and other conferences, itpro.tv has the solution. There's a transcript for every training course. It's searchable. They're always updating content. It's an awesome archive to be subscribed to. You get access to all of their training. Uh, it's just great. I mean, everything from the fundamentals, uh, Python, Kali Linux, um, um, Metasploit, uh, all the way into advanced classes. They've got Windows Active Directory stuff. So you want to, if you're an attacker, if you're on the red team and you want to understand how stuff works, which you have to understand in order to, to understand how to break stuff in order to understand how to fix stuff because you need to know all those skills to be a security professional. IT Pro TV uh, has all of that training. So that's just, you know, those are some of the reasons why they're a sponsor. I really believe in what they do. Uh, and I think they have a great product that is constantly evolving and, and getting better and, and always updated, which is important for our training. Yeah, uh, I, I always field. think whenever, whenever everyone talks about uh, training spend, I always think of the old line about the two executives. It's like, what if we train these people and they leave? And the other yeah. one says, what if we don't and they stay? Right. Right. It's like, uh, hey, uh, maybe we should invest in our people. Yeah. Uh, crazy talk, I know. Uh, Mick Douglas is here with us. Mick and Douglas, I haven't introduced. Hold on, I apologize. My tele, my my keyboard. Oh, look, it's, it's, he's trying to wave at hey. us, but we're he's on the screen. He's even he's waving, when, but he there he is. Hey. Even when hey. his job title oh has uh, indicated otherwise, Mick Douglas has been doing information security work for over ten years. He's received a bachelor's degree in communication from Ohio State. He's the managing partner for InfoSec Innovations. He's always excited for the opportunity to share with others so they do not have to learn the hard way. By studying with Mick, security professionals of all abilities will gain useful tools and skills that should make their jobs easier. When he's not geeking out, you'll likely find Mick indulge, indulging in one of his numerous hobbies, including photography, scuba diving. At one time, it was kung fu as well, and yep. hanging out in the great outdoors. Mick, welcome back to Security Weekly. Hey, guys. It's been way too long. It's been a long time. Mick was a, a regular host once here on the show. 
Uh, you've worked for Black Hills Information Security. You've worked yep. for, was it Binary Defense Systems, not Trusted yep. Tech? You went on the Binary yeah. Defense side of the house. Uh, and recently yeah, you've gone off. contract with Trusted Tech as well. And, and, and now recently you've gone off and you're doing your own thing. Is that is that the deal? Yeah. So uh, what uh, InfoSec Innovations is, it's um, we will do traditional security services, but we're also a R&D company that we're, I mean, the name Innovations kind of means that we have to, right? Um, what we're going to be doing is trying to advance the industry by doing some really creative and interesting things that um, uh, really like we're going to start leveraging APIs that have been underutilized by the security industry. And that's actually what the tech segment uh, tonight is all about. Um, this uh, weird API that uh, Dave Kennedy um, pointed out to me, um, I thought he was actually trolling. Because he was like, hey, Mick, you should check out this thing. It's on Stack Overflow. And I was like, oh, yeah, uh, the source of really good tech info. And um, <laughs> He was like, yeah, I'm having to... a, a milkshake with my friend Trevor, and he told me about the oh Stack Overflow post. He, he won all the internets. Like, he, he literally won all the internets on that. Didn't even pause a beat, just barely raised an eyebrow a little bit, and it was hilarious. So, continue. Yeah, so um, – so, Kennedy uh, pointed out this weird API that is, I don't know if it's undocumented, but it certainly is underdocumented. I've not seen a whole lot of uh, TechNet info about it. And what it is, there's a um, method that's available in the kernel on uh, Windows going pretty far back um, that allows you to attach a debug process to a running executable. And as soon as you attach that debug process, it pauses. And what's interesting is it remains paused until you unpause it. But there's all sorts of really bizarre uh, uh, features about this. And um, what I've been experimenting with is using this as a way to help with incident response. So what you can do is pause a potentially suspicious executable and do investigation, do your forensics work as normal. And then if it turns out that it's a happy, normal program, you can unpause that and it continues to run. And what's even weirder is because it's a debug process, um, inputs, whether they're network-based or uh, local, get placed on a FIFO stack. Hmm. And um, the application will continue to queue those. And I don't know what the bounds are on that buffer yet. Mm -hmm. um, still doing some experimentation. But the idea, the thing that's interesting is if you unpause that application, not only does it resume normal process, but everything that was put in that um, buffer will be processed. So You know what's, what's interesting, Mick, is that I have yeah. this um, particular incident in my career that always comes to mind when we talk about debuggers. And as I was a young programmer still in college, and, and many people learning program today have probably had similar experiences is that when you're writing code, you put a bunch of print statements in it, and you run it. Yep. And then that's my debug. You, you print it right like that's your debug. And I remember the manager of development, who's a super nice guy, and he was just, I don't know if he was having an off day or just really wanted to hammer this point home. And a senior developer was helping me um, with the print statements. We were putting print statements in, and he came in and he started yelling about making sure that we're using the application debugger. So you guys have to use yeah. the application debugger. And kind of like made a scene like, you have to use the application debugger. We backed all of our print statements, and we started using the application debugger. And it was a much better experience while we were kind of freaked out that he kind of made this this, yes. this incident. But I think the point was 
like in my brain now when I debug code, I remember that incident that happened in 1998, right? Where so, I should so be using the application. What you're debug. saying is that when you you type your print statements, you still think like I'm bad doing this. But yes, I know I'm like this is bad. Debuggers. This is bad, right? <laughs> but that's an important lesson that I think yeah. people should learn. Maybe not by getting yelled at, but maybe by listening to the show. The, the application debugger is powerful because it allows you to step through your code, and especially when you're learning programming, it's a really powerful tool to help you step through all of the logic. I think your take, Mick, on this is interesting that we can use this from almost an incident response and forensic standpoint to uh, pause the process and, and learn from it in this manner. So that's cool. Well, it, you know, it, it, I don't know if it's cool or anything. What I'm just at is a level of frustration because I am, I mean, the the scoreboard's pretty bad for the defenders. Let's be honest. You know, um, it's a body count, and we got to start changing things up. And part of the problem is that as uh, blue teamers, I think that uh, we're very gun shy to do things like um, halt a suspicious process, um, even doing things that would I, I would think is pretty innocuous as like um, isolating a machine with like a quarantine VLAN. You, that could be a career-ending moment for you as a defender. Sorry, and Mick. So, I realized that the bottle yeah. of tequila that I took from the production staff earlier is yeah. now missing. Missing. We can hear shenanigans <laughs> going on next door. Oh, and boy. now we have a perfect explanation because they took back their bottle, their gigantic bottle of, bottle of Patron Gigantic silver. bottle yeah. of Patron So, so Mick, I got a question. While they're talking about tequila um, – Mick is a, is a good friend. Uh, Mick, Mick actually uh, recently traveled with me to Australia. We taught together. Yeah, which the was land fantastic. down under. Was um, fun. Yeah, <laughs> we had a good time. Uh, but but the uh, the pause the pause process stuff that Mick's going to show uh, is also useful from the uh, the attacker perspective. Uh, oh yes. And uh, I, in fact, Mick did share some of this stuff with me early as he was developing, and I, and I was like, well, I'm going to use that in a pen test. Um, to see if I can actually pause uh, endpoint defense processes. Uh, and I won't steal Mick's thunder, let him talk about it a little bit, but uh, no, it, it does actually away. go both ways is all I'm going to point out. Yeah, no, actually, uh, not going to get into that. Um, we're going to talk more uh, high level uh, with this. Uh, so um, one of the things that's interesting, if you're a uh, red teamer or a pen tester, um, not every application uh, can uh, – they're protected that prevent you from putting and attaching a debug process on them. So um, that would prevent this attack or this technique from working as a way of pausing a defensive, like, say, agent. But what's interesting is I've been playing around with this, and not every um, named um, defensive product – out there has that protection so you can actually pause say the security agent on an endpoint oh, do your awesome. nefarious stuff and then unpause it and i'll actually show you a really cool technique um, that allows you to pause sleep that pause and then automatically unpause very nice very nice and you know <laughs> you mixed dead on because there are processes on endpoints I won't mention any vendors by name, but if they don't actually report in on a periodic basis, um, then, you know, said security product will throw an alarm saying, hey, Workstation XYZ has not reported in on, you know, on time. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a significant event. And so uh, that capability is, is Yeah, is but is it, fantastic. though? Could it be that, that that computer is just off or down for maintenance or I turned off that VM or, I mean, there's a lot of 
regular well, activity that would cause it not to report back in. This well, is true, Paul, but the, but the, the products, um, you know, they, they'll have an application protocol dialogue exchange uh, to understand what shutdown means. Um, but oh, this, okay. you know, and, and a process pause is, is a completely different thing. And, and so the capability Mick's talking about becomes really, really important if you're going to yeah, use but still, it. If I, pause, if I pause a VM, that's it, does it know that the VM was paused and communicate that before it's paused? So, or? So the type of alarming that Joff's talking about is most likely um, going to be put on uh, like the Crown Jewel type servers. So like uh, if your okay, domain yeah. controller stops yeah. checking in, yeah, like you drop your butt and run yep. into fixing that machine. Nope. Agreed. So you're going to show us something, Mick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, let me uh, show my screen here. Sweet. Go, go, Gadget. Oh, hey, shameless plugs, San Seattle and Scottsdale, and I'm going to be doing a webinar on November 29th. Nice. All right, so let's let's start uh, talking here about these different uh, things here. Uh, first thing I'm going to show you is this is just a mocked-up malicious thing. I can't see your screen yet, Mick. Oh, you can't? No, but you're looking great. You look great. <laughs> the wallpaper behind you is fantastic. It's some. Well, yeah, I'm visiting my parents. <laughs> that explains a lot. Okay. That explains the wallpaper. Explains the wallpaper. <laughs> okay. Oh, now Here we, we can. Yep, we can see the Shameless sands. plug for sands. October 30th Seattle, in Seattle. In Scottsdale. November 28th in Scottsdale. Yep. And, and a, we're webinar be doing a webinar. November 29th. The first ISI webinar on November 29th. So let me show you here. Um, uh, what we've got here is just a little infinite loop that uh, will um, basically recreate like what something malicious could potentially do. And when I get this started, uh, this is just here. Here's your PID running. So now what you can do is you import this module. And now that this is imported, I can simply pause based off of that PID. So I can go pause. Pause process ID and then 6100 like that. And all of a sudden the counting stops. Oh. Now the thing that's baller about this is like let's say that you inadvertently paused a like a mission critical thing and somebody starts calling the help desk, everybody freaks out, no worries. All you need to do is this and it resumes everybody's happy. So this feature is something that some of the next, like, quote-unquote, next-gen antivirus and AV or whatever, um, that they're, like, charging insane amounts of money for. And I think that that's really kind of bogus. Now, some of the things that I've done since the talk on DerbyCon where I showed this tool, I've uh, made it so that it works in some interesting ways. So, for instance... Um, one thing that you can do is, like, let's say I've got um, multiple instances of Notepad running. Okay, let's uh, get another one and another one. So, you know, I can just type into these and I'm good to go. They're just normal happy Notepads. What you can do is you can actually do this. You can type git process name Notepad, pipe that to pause process and now all of my notepad processes are paused i can't interact with them at all so if you have say a bunch of running instances of potentially malicious code you can pause them all 
And if you want to unpause them all, it's very easy. You simply unpause process and your notepads are all back and happy working notepads. So this is cool. You know, now let me show you, this was something that just blew my mind when I was doing some research with this. Um, I said that there's a FIFO queue that happens. So, um, uh, check this out. Um, so I'm typing some stuff. I go ahead and do this, pause all my notepads. And now I click into it. Notepad's not up, but if I type, And then I go back and unpause it, and then I go into my notepad. All the text that I type while it's focused yet paused goes in there, meaning that this is a relatively safe way of pausing a process and potentially you know, preventing people from like, having a total freakout. Um, red teamers, you may want to take note of this. So um, uh, let me get my notepad process. Um, okay, so it's um, ID2952. Um, what you can do is this. And then sleep. Let's let it sleep for three seconds because, I mean, that proves the point. And now, when I try to interact with this notepad, it only allows me to interact after that sleep is done. So what Joff was saying about that return, um, that heartbeat check-in, that allows you to do that, and it works beautifully, very nice and powerful. But there's a whole lot more. The, the big major change that I've done with this pause process utility is I've made it so that it can accept things from the pipeline. And we've already seen that right here with this bit that I've highlighted. But what's wild is basically now you can select any process based off of a wide variety of items. And so you can do something like this, which is um, just bonkers. And I've done this a couple times uh, to people. I'm not going to do this in this in this demo. You'll understand why in just a moment. What you can do is do git process. And then uh, Git process has a uh, component called include uh, username, which by default, it doesn't include those. But you can uh, change that, and that will show the users affiliated with particular applications. And then what you can do is a where clause. So where object username, let's like Bob. And then what you can do then is pause uh, process. And now any processes that are running under the user account Bob are going to be stopped. It effectively freezes his machine, but everybody else is able to work. And I've tried this on like jump hosts where people are RDPing in. It works beautifully. So everybody else is doing their normal work, is happy. They're doing their normal like IT stuff. But Bob, you know, who's always up to no good, mm -hmm. he's going to be paused, and then you can investigate what he's up to, and then unpause individual apps or individual processes or everything that's affiliated with him. So really baller stuff. That's awesome. 
The last thing, and this is one of my favorite demos, um, that this is just so, so bonkers. Check this out. Slide over to my uh, Kali Linux system, which of course is named Cuddle Bunny, because why not? What I'm going to do is set up a Netcat listener, and I'm going to uh, import. Did you say your import. host name was Cuddle Bunny? Hell yeah, my Kali Linux one is Cuddle Bunny. Oh, okay. That makes me want to trust it, Mick. It, well, that's the whole point. If you see Cali in your uh, hosts lists. Right. If I see Cuddlebunny, I'm like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, why not? So here we go. So we've got our, our uh, Netcat and PowerCat listener. Oh, no. Lateral movement. And, oh, geez, of course, demo fails. Okay, there we go. So it's working. So we've got our lateral movement going on. Well, what's interesting is um, here. Let me uh, close out of this. I got to do this in a different window. Okay, we're gonna go over here and okay. So. Go over, make sure my listener is there. We go, get my listener going. Go over here, run PowerCat. Okay, so we've got this. So check this out. So what we're emulating here is lateral movement taking place in the environment, and that is, as we all know, hella bad. What I'm about to show you is straight up bonkers. With this command, doing this, you can do git net tcp connection where object remote address equals and then you uh, 192.168.33.44.0.0.0 uh, um, and then I select uh, own, owning application or wait, let me double check on that. It's uh, owning process. So now what you get is this is the process ID affiliated with this particular IP address, all the connections with that. So now you can pause that process using pause process. Oh no, let's see if the demo works. Let's go over. Oh, I did. See? You got an error, but it's still, it looks away. like it, it still paused. The, so you can it's pause a process based on what IP addresses it's connected to. Hell yeah. You can pause based off of IP address. You can pause off of port. You can even pause off of DLL that's been injected. Hmm. So what I'm telling you is in the next couple months, I'm going to keep on releasing uh, tweaks and uh, add-ons to this. So now... Even if you don't have application whitelisting in your environment for whatever reason, you can do bonkers stuff like, hey, if I see a particular application that's not on my pre-approved list, auto-pause. Well, what's interesting, Mick, is that, um, in fact, we were just talking on the webcast. Uh, we mentioned this briefly, Joff, mm -hmm. but, and we've talked about this before, how open source 
tools and methodologies that work with Windows or Linux or whatever the open source technology is, we can find the bad, and I find what commercial applications offer on top of that is being able to quarantine or stop the bad. What yeah. you've shown is that you can now kind of build this into if you're a Windows system and you're using open source uh, tools or living off the land, as Matt was talking about earlier, to say, hey, this process running on all my systems is bad. Now you have a mechanism via PowerShell to go pause that process and somewhat quarantine uh, that based on different criteria, which uh, yeah. to me, that's the most compelling uh, reason to look at your research, Mick, which is, I mean, yeah. I would look at it because it's Mick, but other people <laughs> should look at it no, no, because no. of those other that's reasons. <laughs> no, that and that's actually really astute. Um, one of the things that I'm hoping to do um, at uh, the next, I would say, four to eight weeks, I want to make a series of automated response capabilities that will allow people like whatever sim you're using or whatever um, endpoint tool you're having, um, we need to move beyond just alerting. Mm. It, it's it's dead. I mean, all the alerts are just, a. You know, I, I was listening before I came on the show and Matt was right. There's way too much uh, noise in the stream. Um, and now part of that is our own fault. I think we haven't held uh, vendors to account and they've been writing some really crappy and generic tools. Um, but the other half of it is that we've been very timid as an industry in terms of what we're willing to do. And part of that is that we've got very um, blunt uh, instruments. You know, it's either you can like isolate a host or you can kill a process. Um, there's a whole lot more shades of gray, and that's what yeah. I want to help expose. No, I like that a lot. In fact, when uh, okay. I worked at Tenable, I was always the huge uh, proponent of why don't we go fix the vulnerability, right? And I, I really yes. felt that in, in vulnerability management, and that's still today not something that we see. I think the whole field of security automation and orchestration is starting to change that. I still think mm -hmm. that largely – the vast majority of information security professionals are very scared of that technology uh, because we've been burnt by it in the past. But I agree with you saying, Mick, like we need to move to that uh, level where we're identifying and then taking some kind of remediation or some kind of action to thwart that threat and do it on an automated basis. And that's the only way we're going to win. And I think as a general statement, I'm, I'm behind that 100%. I have been for some time. I think early on in my career, I was like, there's no way we could do that. Like, there's way too many false positives and false negatives yeah. for us to even think that. But in today's world, uh, in the environments we're trying to protect, especially as we talk about DevOps containers and the way we're doing development today, it, we, we have to be. Yeah. In, the developers have already implemented this mentality. They've already automated their their systems. Well, a, a, a good a, chunk of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, a, a, I can't put my like bet on what that percentage is today, but we're seeing a growing number of developers automating that whole process of, of development, staging, production. Netflix and Etsy, of course, have been leaders in that space. And we used to look and go, oh, well, yeah, it's really cute what they're doing. But now so many other, especially newer startups, are that's how they're developing code today. Uh, so I, I, I agree. We need to, there needs to be a shift in security to trusting our technology a little more. And I, personally, I don't blame people for being skeptical because I'm in that camp that I've been burnt by technology before oh, several I'm... times in really bad ways. And preach on, so, brother. Yeah, like, preach and on, so we dude. we go back to nope. We're gonna do the analysis manually, 
and verify everything before you know, we yeah, take an action. Paul, a thought occurs to me that, um, you know, we, we can take a halfway step too. And I don't know if Mick, uh, Mick would see it this way, but I mean, at least have the ability to, you know, maybe throw the alert to say, hey, this has happened. Here's the analysis from the automated perspective. Press this button if you want to remediate now. I mean, at least go the halfway step, if not yeah. the full step. Right. Well, or even just give options, right? Like say, hey, yeah. um, this is an alarm. Here's some different uh, responses that you can take. Go press one of these buttons. Um, the problem that I, I – and Paul, man, you are preaching to the choir on this. There have been so many snake oil salesmen and so many folks that have been saying like, oh, industry standard and patent pending this and that. And it's garbage. It's complete garbage. And we have got to start like just moving the ball forward. I don't know if this is the right thing. What I'm just doing is I'm throwing this out to the universe and seeing if it sticks. So play with it, Internet. Tell me where I'm wrong. I'm sure I am. Um, but I want to get better. So let's try moving the ball forward. Awesome. Where can people find this project, Mick? It's out on GitHub. I'll uh, post a link, um, but uh, GitHub, and it's under my old uh, BBS scandal, Bessimo Rhino. And so um, I'll uh, post links. Um, awesome. We'll try and update the, the show notes. Send that to us, Mick, so we can update our show notes so people can refer back to it. it for the segment. Thank you, Mick, very much. Hopefully you can stick around for the next segment where we're going to talk yeah. about the security news for a little while. Talk about what's happening with uh, with Equifax and, and other things in our industry today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. <laughs> 